We are in this series called Transformed, and we made it to Acts 18. So if you got your Bibles, Acts 18, and we're going to be in, starting in verse 9. It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." So if you guys were with us last week, you'll remember that Paul went to Athens. Well, Paul leaves Athens, and he goes to this city called Corinth. Of course, he writes a couple of letters to the church in Corinth uh, that you have most likely read. And he has, we don't know what it is, but he has this moment of fear, and he has this moment of feeling alone. And we know that he has this moment, or God wouldn't have shown up to him in a vision to tell him, do not be afraid, and you're not alone. And so God goes to great lengths to appear to him, to assure him that he doesn't have to fear and he, he is not alone. And so God tells him, you are not alone. And I feel like I need to tell you that today. You are not alone. You may feel like you're alone, but you are not alone. You may actually be alone, <laughs> but... How do you guys know that when you, even when you are alone, you are not alone, right? He is with you. But you have to be reminded that you're not alone. Let me just be real with you. This week, there were a couple key moments when I felt extremely alone. Listen, I'm surrounded by family who loves me. I'm surrounded by a church family that loves me. But there were a couple moments this week when I felt extremely alone. And I just have to imagine that maybe you've felt that too. But you know what I had to do? I had to remind myself, I'm not alone. I may feel like I'm alone. I may actually be alone in this moment. But even when I'm alone, I'm not alone. And have you guys ever watched that TV show, Alone? You guys know what that is? Some of you guys know what that is? If you don't know what it is, they basically take 10 contestants and they drop them in different places throughout a wilderness area by themselves with just a few things they can pick to take with them. They have a button they can push if they tap out and they want to like go home and be rescued. But the idea is they try to survive as long as they can alone and try to outlast the other people, but they don't know if everybody else has tapped out or not. And so you got these people who you know go out there, they drop them, off there and they've got you know a picture of their family or something like that and some of these people within the first day or two are like looking at the picture they're like crying I miss my family so much it's like you've been 24 hours do you ever go on a trip like you you watch the show even you know what's going to happen like, you prepared for this you know and they're tapping out but then you even the most seasoned people even the most the seasoned people who who you know they live this way after a few weeks, after a while, even a, you know, after some time, they start to break down. They start to even, you know, even though they're, they're ready for this, they start to break down. Why? Because we are not designed to be alone. We are not designed to be alone. God did not design you to be alone. In fact, when God, you know, go all the way back to the garden, God puts Adam in the garden. And what does he say once he make, puts Adam in the garden? He says, it's not good that Adam's alone. And so I'm going to I'm going to make a helper suitor, suited for, for Adam so that, that he will not be alone. Which, by the way, a little commercial, we have a marriage conference coming up this Saturday. And if you are not signed up for that, 
You should be, and I know the names of the people who are not, because I check. And by the way, Jesus knows your name too. And he knows you're not signed up. But you're not designed to be alone, and you probably need some help to figure out how to be together at times too. How many of you guys know what I'm saying? So that's a little good. You guys have now permission to take out your phone and to go ahead and register for our marriage thing that's coming up this Saturday. Uh, and so that you can learn how to be together because God designed you to not be alone. So what God does in this chapter, though, as you see, like I was reading this chapter, and it's like Paul goes into the city of, Ath- or in the city of Corinth, and he's by himself, but it's like God keeps putting people in his path. It's like a bunch of cameo appearances from new characters in a story. And so Paul goes in, and God keeps putting these people in his path, it's like I told you guys a few weeks ago a story about how I was running, and I do like to run from time to time throughout the week, and so I have this place out where I live where I'll run, and there's, you know, even though I've lived out at my place eight years now, there's certain neighbors that I haven't met because I only see them when they're like outside working on their yard and, and they're on acreage, and so like they may be way far off, and I may wave at them, but we never cross paths that way. And so I see this one guy as I'm running all the time, but he's always way out in his yard. And so we're always waving at each other, but I've never met him. And I, I really had this burden for the last, you know, I don't know how long, but I was like, I need to meet this guy. And every time I'm trying, I've got a time I'm trying to beat, you know, and I'm trying to run and, I, you know, I'm hot and sweaty and all this. So it's like, I don't want to do that. And finally, the other day I was running and I saw him out there. I was like, I'm going to just stop. And so I stopped, and we met, and we talked, and we talked, and I say we talked, he actually talked a lot, and I found out very quickly, we are not on the same page on a lot of issues, <laughs> but I kept, I kept talking with him, and so, so long that my family sent out a rescue party for me, because they thought I, I was like in a ditch somewhere or something like that, because I wasn't coming home, but I realized, I was like, God put this guy in my path, like literally put this guy in my path. But I had to stop to be with him. And so then I started to go out again, and I was like, I wonder if God is putting people in my path as I'm running, and yet I've just been too focused on running that I haven't stopped to to talk. And what if God is putting people in my path? And so as I'm running, there was another neighbor of mine who uh, I was like, well, okay, God, if if there's somebody out, I'm just going to stop. And this other neighbor of mine, like about a quarter mile away, he stops his mower like a quarter mile away, and he's just waiting for me. Which is like really awkward because I'm running, you know, as he's waiting and I get all the way up there and sure enough, he's just waiting to talk to me, different neighbor. And so I stop and I talk to him for a while. And then just, just yesterday, I was, I was, you know, getting up in the morning, I get up to have my coffee, I look out my window, there are horses in my backyard. I'm like, eh, that's interesting. And they weren't my neighbor's horses because my neighbor has horses because I'm counting his. I'm like, no, his are all there. They're just horses in my backyard. And so I just start mowing. I just like start mowing my yard. And then pretty soon these other neighbors show up that I've never met them either. And so they show up to collect their horses. And so they're, they're like, oh yeah, you're the one that passed the church. Oh yeah, nice to meet you. And I'm like, what is going on? Like God is just putting people in my path. I started to realize, I guess God put me here to pastor my neighborhood. I wonder if God puts you in where you are to pastor your neighborhood. But how many of us are just running 
And we're, we're, not, we're not taking the time to stop for the people God puts in our path. And, and so I just had to, I literally just had to stop and start to, to talk. And I, I'm like, I'm pastoring people in my neighborhood. And God just starts to do this with Paul. As Paul is going through, he's just going through life. And God starts to put people in his path. In Acts chapter 18, verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. And, he found, and he's by himself, by the way. But he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And when he went to see, he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And so Paul, here's what you have to understand. Even though Paul's very highly educated, he was a student of this rabbi, Gamaliel, who was like one of the greatest rabbis. And even though he's doing all this stuff... As each one of those kids would grow up in that culture, they would learn a trade. They would learn whatever their, you know, whatever trade they could learn almost as a fallback. And so, you know, Jesus, he learned his father Joseph's trade and he was a carpenter. And so evidently, Paul learned how to be a tent maker as he was, you know, growing up and learning a trade. And so you got to imagine Paul. He's walking through the town of Corinth. He's trying to get the lay of the land. And he stumbles upon this shop. There's a tent-making shop. You know, Corinth is kind of a, uh, you know, a port city. And so maybe they were making tents, but maybe they were also working in canvases and stuff to work on sails of ships or whatever. And so Paul, being Paul, he just kind of stops. And you got to imagine him talking to these people. He's like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we make tents. We do this stuff. He's like... You know, that's the trade I grew up in. He probably starts asking them questions, start inquiring, and, hi, you know, I'm Paul, I'm Aquila, you know, here's my wife Priscilla. And then pretty soon they're saying, hey, we're looking for some workers around here. Since you already know how to do this, we want to come work for us. And Paul's like, sure, I'd love to come work for you. And so Paul just begins to start working for them in the meantime. And so Aquila and Priscilla become great friends of Paul, and eventually they become great partners in the ministry for Paul. But it all happened because as Paul is going through life, God put people in his path, but Paul had to stop and recognize that God was putting people in his path. I want you to see what Paul did even before, because Timothy and Silas catch up to him. But before Timothy and Silas catch up to him, even while Paul is alone and most likely feeling alone, he does something while he feels alone that you're probably going to have to do too if you feel alone right now. And here's what he does. He expands his circle. If you feel alone right now, you are going to have to expand your circle. Most likely, God is putting people in your path. But you have to expand your circle. I've noticed a tendency that may be human nature, but it is not kingdom of God new nature. And let me tell you the tendency I've noticed. And here's the tendency. Whenever we have a problem, whenever we have an issue in life, whenever we have a season, you guys know what a season is, right? I put that in quote. Whenever you have a season in life, here's a tendency that may be human nature, but it is not kingdom of God, new nature. And here's, the, here's what happens. We pull our circle tight. We go into lockdown mode. It's like we're managing our brand it's like we're trying to control information in and information out. We close our circle. 
It's like a, a, a business that, that has a PR problem, right? You know, like Chipotle in 2015, you know, they had that E. coli outbreak. Some of you guys remember that. And they were trying to manage that. And so they, I mean, they're doing, giving wishy-washy answers and stuff like that as to what they're going to do and how they're going to solve the problem. Over that next year, their sales went down 82%. Eventually, the CEO and founder has to resign to, to get them out of that problem. Well, they probably paid hundreds of millions of dollars to some, you know, PR campaign. Why? Because they were trying, in a problem, they were trying to lock down. And that's a tendency that we have, even as believers, we have this tendency that whenever we have a problem, that may be practical, but it's not biblical. It may be functional, but it's not godly. Because we lock it down. And, and we have to understand that. Not like, let me just give you a real-life example for us. Like many of you guys know, my father-in-law, Richard, is battling, battling health issues. And so i got to be honest. For, at, at the beginning, we kind of went into that human nature, like lock it down. But not too, uh, not too far into it, we were like, this isn't right. We've got to expand our circle here. And so we started to spread it out. We started to reach out. We started to invite people in. We started to, to send out, you know, texts to different people. We started to invite people to pray with us. We started to, to include people in the fast that we were doing. Like, all this stuff. Because here's what I want you to understand. When you're in the kingdom of God, you have an obligation to other people. See, so many of us, we don't understand how to be citizens in the kingdom of God. We understand how to be a citizen in this world, and especially in our culture where we don't even know our neighbors. Like, how many of you guys know you, you can live in a cul-de-sac and not know your neighbor because why? You, you, get, you know, get out of your bed, you take a shower, you brush your teeth, you eat your whatever stuff. You go into your, your car that's in the garage. The door goes open. You're in your bubble. You go to work. You go into your cubicle. You come back, and you do the whole thing over and over again, and you never interact in the world around you. That's how you're a citizen in, the, in this place where we live, but that is not how you become a citizen in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, you actually have obligations. The Bible talks about sharing one another's burdens. The Bible talks about carrying one another's burdens. How can you do that if we all lock down? That may be human nature, but it's not kingdom nature. The, the, king, the nature of the kingdom of God expands our circle, and that's what Paul begins to do. Most followers of Jesus don't do this, though. But Paul does. Acts 18, verse 5, it says, So when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So what is he doing? As his pattern, he goes into the synagogue, every new place that he goes, and he tries to tell the Jews, hey, all, you know, all this thing, all the scriptures, you guys are looking for the Messiah. We found him, Jesus. And he tries to tell them, and then what happens a lot of times in every town that he goes to, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is classic Paul here right now. This is like, I mean, this is gutsy. He's like, your blood is on your own heads. I'm going. And watch what he does. I love this. It's like, and he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, and his house was next door to the synagogue. And there 
he sets up a church next door. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. So now that ruler of the synagogue, like, switches over, right? And, and together with his entire, entire household and many Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And so he's opposed. He literally goes next door. He says, he tells them, he's like, hey, this, Jesus is the Messiah. Oh, well, you don't like that? And he goes next door, probably opens up the windows and starts singing about Jesus so they can hear it during their service. Gutsy, right? You know? But what I want you to see is when he was opposed, when he had a problem, when he had an issue, what did he do? Expanded his circle. He said, all right, I'll meet a new guy. Titius Justice, all right, you're my buddy. Let's go. Quilla Priscilla, you're my friends. Let's go. He expanded his circle. Next thing, if you're feeling alone, you have to not just reach out, but you have to be willing to let love back in. So I've got an illustration for this, a story, but I'm going to go on location. It's not really on location, but it's just more fun to pretend like it is. So let's, let's watch. Let's watch. One of the most fascinating stories I heard years and years ago is about this guy named Hiro Onodo. Hiro is this Japanese soldier around World War II, and, and he is issued commands to go and to be on this island in the Philippines and to take it for the emperor. He believes the emperor is a god, and this is a sacred war and stuff, and so he fights with everything in him. Well, meanwhile, meanwhile we, we bomb Japan. Japan surrenders, and the war is over. But Hiro doesn't know the war is over, and so he continues to fight. Well, they know he's out there, but he won't come in because he believes that death is better than surrender, and so he continues to fight a war that's already been won. And so they eventually they drop leaflets trying to tell him the war's over. He doesn't believe it. He thinks that it's all enemy propaganda, that it's just a trap, it's just a trick, and so he keeps on fighting. The next year he keeps on fighting. The next year he keeps on fighting. He's living off bananas and coconuts, surviving out in the jungle somehow all this time, but he keeps on fighting. 1959, he's officially declared dead, but he's very much alive, and it wasn't until 1974 that the only way they could figure out how to get him to surrender and to come out was to bring his old commanding officer over from Japan, who's now a bookseller in Japan. They bring him into the jungle and officially uh, tell him to stop fighting and they rescind the command for him to stop fighting. And then, then he finally officially surrenders. Here's a guy who's fighting a battle that's already been won, but he's fighting under old rules, under old ways, and he is continuing to fight doesn't matter if people are trying to let them let him know that they love him, care about him, that there's no battle. He's continuing to fight. That's a picture of how we are many, many times. We're, we put up a fight. We, people are trying. What if people are trying to drop leaflets in our life, but we just won't let them in? We will not let love in. It reminds me of this lady years ago who was very gifted, very talented, very called in a lot of, lot of ways, but she had some hurt in the past. And so I, I found over and over again that she would say things or do things or try to provoke me to reject her in some way before I ever even did reject her in any way. So she was like trying to facilitate the rejection before it could possibly happen as a protective measure because she just had a hard time letting love in. What if there are people trying to drop leaflets in our life, but we just won't let love in because we're still fighting a battle under old rules, 
But it's a battle that Jesus has already won. We need our commanding officer, Jesus, to come over to rescind uh, those old commands out of our life and to tell us to surrender because it's only in surrender can we find true freedom. What if God is trying to drop leaflets in our life to tell us how much he loves us, but we just have a protective measure that we're still putting up a fight, fighting a battle that Jesus has already won, and we just need to surrender to find true freedom and let love in. So if you're feeling alone right now, we've got to expand our circle, but we also have to be willing to let love in, let those leaflets drop in our heart to be able to experience fullness of life in the kingdom of God. So Paul, what does he do? Acts 18, 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. But watch this. Who's with him? Priscilla and Aquila. Remember John Mark a few weeks ago and that whole debacle, how you know, Paul's like, I'm not taking them with me because I was hurt and all this type of stuff. What does Paul do? He, get, he takes a risk on people once again. He takes a risk to let love in. He takes a risk to be close to people again. And every single person here has been hurt in some way. This is kind of part two of the message on betrayal I preached a few weeks ago. But every single person here has been hurt in some way. But if you want to live life in the kingdom of God, then you have to start treating life how God made life. Which God is a God of grace and mercy and thank God for his second chances and third chances and 15,000th chance. And that's what Paul begins to do. We have to let love back in. Number three is this. Reduce the if only. Let me explain reduce the if only. That I was listening to a podcast this week and this guy wrote a book on regrets. And he did this study of regrets. And his name's Daniel Pink, I believe. Some of you guys may be familiar with his work, but... He collected 16,000 regrets from people in 105 different countries. And he began to categorize and to try to find the similarities in all these different regrets. And he came, he boiled all the regrets, all 16,000 of them, down into four categories. And they go something like this. The first type of regret are what he calls foundation regrets. And they go like this. If only I had done the work. So if only I had saved financially for my future. If only I had done what I knew I needed to do. If only, and it could be a health thing, if only I had kept up my physical body. If only I had done the exercise. If only I had done. And these are foundational regrets that people have. If only I had done the work. And the second type of regret are boldness regrets. It goes something like this. If only I had taken the chance. Have you guys ever had something like that before? If only I would have started that business that I just was too scared to start. If only I would have asked that person out, you know, when I was, you know, if only I would have taken the risk to take that trip I was scared. If only, like these boldness regrets. Number three are moral regrets. And it goes something like this. If only I had done the right thing. Many of us have these type of regrets. If only I'd, and this reveals our sin and our selfishness. But many people have these, if only I had done the right thing. And then the last category is this. They are connection regrets. If only I had reached out. And these are a very, very powerful regret. 
Because so many people, so many of us right now, what he's saying is that people get to the end of their life and they have these regrets, these if only connection regrets, these things that it's like if only, and we have these reasons why we don't because we think it'll be awkward or we don't want to be hurt again or we don't think that people will receive it well or whatever it is, but we have these regrets, these if only I had reached out regrets. And I believe in the kingdom of God, we can be people percentage-wise that have greater reduction in if-onlys than people who aren't following Jesus. I believe we can reduce the if-onlys compared to other to, to non-believers. Why? Because we walk the kingdom way. And when you walk the kingdom way, you have less if-onlys in your life. And so Acts chapter 18, verse 19, and they came to Ephesus. And he left them there, but he, went into the, he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So they traveled to Ephesus, and he goes in. He had to depart from some people, and when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. What's happening here? Paul comes to another departure point where he has to split ways with people. But I want you to see something very important what Paul did. He says, I, I want to return to you if God wills. What did he do? He transferred ownership of his relational life from his control into God's control. He said, if, it, if it's God's will, I'm going to come back. He's like, I don't want to control it, but I, if it's God's will, what did he do? He transferred relational control of his life and rela relational ownership into God's hands. I really believe Every single one of us truly want to do that in our life. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we want to transfer ownership of our relational life into God's hand and say, God, I want your will in this. I want your will in my relationships. I want your will. But many of us, we struggle to do this. And Dallas Willard, some of you guys are familiar with his work. Dallas Willard, he talks about this. He, he says, True transformation is only possible when you have these three ingredients involved. Of course, that by default, we're assuming God's in the process, but he's talking about in this process, you need three things. You need vision, intention, and means. If you want to have true transformation happen in your life, you have to have all three of these things, vision, intention, and means. So vision means, okay, I know where I need to go. I know what needs to happen. I see where things need to go. Intention is I want to go where I see I need to go. It's like I really want, I intend to go there. Means is a plan or a way or a how to do what you see and you want to do. Is everybody following me? And so here's what I think happens. So many of us, we really want to transfer ownership of our relational life into God's hands. We see what needs to happen. We know we should be loving people. We know we should be connected people. We know we should be people who share one another's burdens. We know that we, the fruit of the Spirit ought to be in our relationships. We know that we should be forgiving people. So many of us have the vision for it, but too many of us don't even really intend to go there. Like, come on, if we're honest, we know what we need to do, but we have no real intention to be connected to people. We have no real intention to actually follow through with what we see. 
And if you have a vision of what you know is right, but you actually have no intention to go there, there is no transformation that's going to happen in your life. You're going to stay stuck, stay hurt, stay you're going to stay you're going to stay there because you know what you need to do, but don't kid yourself just because you know what to do, but you actually have no intention to get there. You will never get there. But some of us, we've worked through that. We have a vision, we have the we have the want to, but we just don't know how to. And so I want to give you a very practical how-to today that is going to be so simple, but it is so applicable, okay? So, and let me just tell you, if you want to be connected to other people, if you don't want to walk this life alone, if you want to learn how to be a kingdom citizen, let me give you something very, very practical that's going to help you out. And here it is. You have to calendar connection. It's not just going to happen. Here's what some people do. Some people think, well, connection, as if it's some mysterious, like, fall in love type feeling, that if it doesn't just kind of naturally happen, that it's not real somehow. But that's not true. You have to calendar connection. That's a false belief to think that you just are going to fall into connection. Like, and we get this kind of idea of, like, you know, middle school friendships or something like that. Like, we're just going to go back to that. And like, oh, I had this best friend and I was in middle school and now I don't have any friends. It just didn't. Listen, you were like 12, okay? You had totally different criteria for how your life functioned. Your brain wasn't even fully developed. Come on. <laughs> you have to calendar, calendar connection. Let me give you three words that will help you that you may need to process, and I encourage you to take these to the Holy Spirit. They're going to be very broad categories, but, but I believe if you do these things and take them seriously, connection will increase, and if-onlys will decrease in your life. All right, the three means or the plan I want to give you are three words. They are community, conversations, and confession. So let's talk about community. You have to calendar community in your life. It's not just going to happen. You have to calendar it. We have a way around the church here that we try to help you do that. We call them real life groups. We call them connect groups. You can do this in other ways. You, you don't have to do it through those means. But we do provide an opportunity for you to do that. And if so, like in our schedule, every two weeks, we have a real life group. It's on our calendar. We calendared connection. Because, and we calendared community. Not because we feel like it. In fact, there's, let me just be real honest with you. There are many times when it's like our real life group day and I'm busy and I'm, I'm tired and all that type of stuff. I'm going into it. I'm like, ah, I don't want to go to real life group tonight. I'm the pastor of the church. Like we started this thing. <laughs> Can I just tell you, I feel guilty about that time, at times, but it is true. But guess what? It's on my calendar. And I pre-decided how I'm going to live my life. I pre-decided connection and community. And since I pre-decided it, it's on my calendar, I'm going to it. Can I tell you every time I go to it, when I'm done with it, I'm like, I am so glad I went. But it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't on my calendar. It, let me tell you, it would not have happened if it was not on my calendar. 
If you are not in a regular community like that, you are not living like a kingdom citizen. You have to calendar. I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that when you know the results of it. And I'm telling you, the results are good. But sometimes the hurdle is the want to. So here's a, here's a, a place where many of us have the vision. We see that it needs to happen. And now you have a how, how it could happen. But you actually have no intention of actually doing it. The Bible, we're going to read a scripture here in a minute that says to him who knows to do what is right, but does not do it to him, that is sin. If you know community is what is right and you choose not to put it in your calendar, it's sin. I don't know how else to put that. There's a, uh, there's a study many of you guys know about. It's very popular. Probably, I've referenced it several times. It's the longest study, I believe, that's ever been done by Harvard going on for like 85 years. The study on happiness. They're trying to study you know, what makes people truly happy. And so they, they have 700 and something people they put in this thing. It's still ongoing, by the way. But they came to the conclusion that the number one thing that makes people happy at the end of their life, it, they, they go back and they look back, the number one thing is relationships. It wasn't success. It wasn't accolades. It wasn't accomplishments. It wasn't a career. It wasn't how much you did. It wasn't any of that stuff. It wasn't how much money you made. It wasn't how big of a house you had. It wasn't how much you traveled. None of that. What is that saying to us? That is saying that you will never regret the investments you make in relationships over the long term. Because that, that is the best investment you could make at the end of your life. This isn't my opinion. This isn't even what the scripture is saying, like just based on scripture. This is based on actual real life people who at the end of it all that maybe have tried everything that they're like, you know, at the end, I just wanted connection. You will not be sorry when you put connection as a high value in your life. All right. Number two is conversations. These are intentional. Some of us right now, we know conversations we need to sit down and have with somebody. And I'm not just talking about fixing problems. I'm talking about connection conversations. Like we just will not calendar the coffee. You have to calendar coffee. I know some of you guys are like, no, coffee's on my calendar every morning. I get up and I'm talking about a conversation coffee. You have to calendar. What I'm telling you, very, very practical today. Some of you have a coffee you need to calendar with somebody. Make the, make the appointment. Well, I don't know if they will. I don't know if they'll respond. I don't know. It'd be awkward. I don't have time. No, make the appointment with somebody. Have the conversation. And then when you get there, don't just like talk all about yourself because we don't know how to talk about anybody about ourselves. See, I'm saying like be genuinely interested in somebody else. And then when they respond back to you, be genuinely authentic with them. Live life in the kingdom as a kingdom person that's not protected, that's not locked down, but it's actually walking in a real relationship. Why? Because I believe relationships are kind of like investing that they can have a compound interest effect. That over time you keep investing, what happens is the relationship strength gets multiplied. 
See, Becca and I, we have on our calendar every single week, we have a date night on our calendar. So people ask me, what, what are you doing? That, like, are you available this particular night? No, I'm not. It's on my calendar. I, I'm already busy that night. I have a, a Sabbath that's on my calendar. What, why? Because, and people ask me, am I available? Well, technically, I'm going to be like sitting in, in my lawn chair with an iced tea, but I'm not available because it's on my calendar. And so we have a date night every single week. Why? Because we believe that we are going to, like the more we invest in our marriage, it has a compound interest effect. By the way, we have this marriage conference that's coming up this weekend. Because I love this quote that says, it takes a long time to become old friends. Some of us don't have old friends. Because here's another, here's another truism. It takes a lot of work to stay old friends. And you do not get there by accident. And so even though I say something very simple, you have to calendar connection, absolutely true. You have to counter community. If you don't have community built into your regular routine, come on, it's time to change it. Come on. If you don't have connection points and, and conversation moments where you can be real with somebody, you can have a moment where somebody's encouraging you and you're encouraging them in a specific way, make it happen. The third thing is this. The last thing is confession. James chapter 5, verse 16. says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Does anybody love this scripture or what? Like, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. James 5.16 talks about confessing. When you confess a sin to somebody else, what happens? Healing starts to happen in your heart. Some of us are still hurt. Because we're unwilling to walk in humility with another brother or sister in Christ. Some of us are still, we, we're not healing because we're not confessing. Because we're not willing to go to that deeper place where we're willing to actually share and to trust and to be authentic. And to actually say, hey, I, I need your prayer here. I'm not perfect Surprise, we already know. If, if you don't know that I'm not perfect, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> what I'm saying is that you and I could sit down and have a conversation and there's stuff I could share with you that I struggle with. There's stuff you could share with somebody else that you struggle with. And when you confess to somebody else, what happens is healing begins to happen in your heart. I can't tell you how many times, even just in, in passing, that I'm talking to people, even in this church or ministry leaders or different people, where I'm just like, I'm just confessing. I'm like, man, I really struggled with this. Or man, yeah, over the last couple years, man, I thought I was mature here, but I was not mature. What's happening when I do that? Healing. 
And I'm not talking about like, you know, like a religious thing or like a, even a Catholic type thing where we go and we make an f- official confession or something like that. What I am talking about is dragging something from darkness into the light. Because when you drag something from darkness into the light, it loses its power. If you drag an offense from darkness into light, it loses its power. If you drag a sin from darkness to light, it loses its power. And so many of us, we do not. And so you're going to, you may even have to calendar that. You might even have to make an appointment for that. And so worship team can come back up. We're going to wrap up James 4, 17. We already mentioned this scripture, but it says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. What is it saying? That's saying you initiate. You step out and do this. Calendar community. Calendar conversation. Calendar confession. We're going to have prayer teams come up in just a moment. And you know what you could do? You could even come up to a prayer team member, even right now, and just, say, just confess, just say, I need to drag this from darkness into light. Not as a religious thing that somehow, but there is freedom in that and say, I just need somebody to agree with me in freedom and I need somebody to help me draw this from darkness into light. And you can do that. You can set an appointment, even right now. You can set an appointment for like two minutes from now and say, I am going to calendar this appointment to bring something from darkness into light. And the key is that you initiate to him who knows what to do and doesn't do it. To him it is sin. What is that saying? That's God's way of saying, don't worry about what everybody else should or shouldn't be doing. See, sometimes we get hung up and say, well, they're the ones that need to come to me. You know what the Bible says? It's always your responsibility to do the right thing. So it doesn't matter what somebody should or shouldn't do. We simply act in the kingdom as if we are the only friend that somebody has. We act as if all the responsibility is on me. I know this is counterculture. I know this is not the way the world does it. Kingdom of God is right side up. Kingdom of God, you know, it says, hey, if somebody demands you walk one mile with them, don't do that. Walk two. You are not alone. You may feel like you're alone. You may actually be here by yourself today. But you're not alone. I've had moments this week where I felt extremely alone. But I'm not alone. And I have to remind myself of that. And we're here today as brothers and sisters in Christ And we could walk into this place, this community of people, and it can be one of two things. It can be a community of believers, or it can be a gathering of individuals. This is a family of God, and if we want to be citizens in this new kingdom, we throw out human nature and we take on new nature. So when I say something like calendar, I know I harp on that quite a bit. But it, it goes, it's kind of like this. I could tell my wife that I love her all day long. But if she doesn't feel it in our calendar, if she doesn't feel it, like in, 
in a real way. I could tell my kids all day long that I love them, but if I don't, if I don't have moments where I'm sitting down and being with them and just present, it doesn't mean anything, does it? It's just empty words. If God just told us that he loved us and he was just, he stayed distant, it would not be the same type of love as when he gifts us with the Holy Spirit and his presence with us, among us. What's he doing? He's demonstrating you are not alone. Would you stand up with me? Oh God, would you help this word settle down deep in our hearts? Would you help those who've maybe experienced loneliness right now feel your presence? God, would you help those who are hurting to experience healing? Lord, would you reveal areas of our life where Maybe we've just had a vision of what we need to do, but we had no intention or no plan to do it. Reveal that to us so that we can walk in your ways and not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Not just say we have faith, but actually walk it out. God, would you reveal those areas to us today? Because I know this, and I just declare over these people, these are people who when they hear the word of God, they respond to the word of God. These are people, when they hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, the seeds that are planted fall on good soil. These are good soil people. These are people who are being transformed day by day into the image of God. These are people who do not walk by human nature, but they walk by kingdom nature. And so, Lord, as kingdom people, we expand our circle. We let love in. And by doing so, we believe that there's going to be a lot, of it less, a lot less if-onlys in our life because of you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond in worship.